Good morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, today we are going to be walking through Luke 11, and Luke 11 is about prayer. And the beautiful thing about being a speaker um, is that oftentimes you get asked to speak on things you don't do well. Amen. And uh, even in the preparation of this message, I realized an hour into it, I was like, I have yet to pray. I've actually yet to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I don't have it within me to deliver a word that's going to be sufficient for the people. I, and if I continue in this manner, I'll just be going in my own talents, my own might. And sometimes that's sufficient. But oftentimes you will be humbled. And so I said, you know what, let me stop and let me pray. But the beautiful thing about our relationship with God is that though we are deficient, he still makes room for us. Amen. And though we are people who fall short often, he provides a new sunrise every day of mercy and grace. And so I just pray that you be patient with me because today I will be making a lot of declarations that I struggle with myself. And I'm sure that a lot of us in this room struggle with having consistent prayer lives or praying consistently. The moment you meet somebody who says that they, their prayer life is perfect, you've met a liar. But blessed be the Lord, for he is faithful when we're faithless. I have a, a story of when I was in college. I uh, went to Tuskegee University, and uh, I thought I was going to get a couple claps. No claps. Okay, cool. There must be some Morehouse folks in this building. Um, the summer going into my sophomore year, I uh, knew I wasn't going to be returning for that semester. So I, he says, you know what, I'm going to spend my summer participating in a summer project uh, through campus outreach. And it's basically they took students, did like spiritual training, they get, got you jobs. Um, but you were there for a whole summer to just spend time with other college students, growing your relationship with God learn some vocational skills and whatnot. And so um, the issue, though, with this, this program for me was school ended in May at Tuskegee, and they would not let you stay on campus once they shut it down. I don't know if you would HBC, HBCUs don't play. They're like, you done, go home. And so May school ends, the summer project doesn't start until June, um, like the late June. And so I have to figure out where am I going to stay, because I don't have the money to go back to California. I can't go to Texas where my brother lived at the time. So I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do in the time period between this May, uh, May school ending and June school starting again. So I was asking around, and my friend Sean, still a good friend to this day, was like, hey, my, my girlfriend is leaving for the summer. She has an apartment that you can stay in until the school starts, I mean, until the program starts. And so I was like, all right. He's like, the only thing, she says, she, you just have to pay for utilities. All right. So I was like, great. Spent about a month there, go to the program, and being a very responsible student like I was, um, and my buddy Sean, very responsible, just like me, um, we knew we needed a place to live at the end of the summer. But we decided to wait till like literally the week before school started and before the summer project ended to look for a place. And so, you know, when, you know, when irresponsible people act out their irresponsibility, they, they go to the Lord. Like, Lord, you, you got it, Jesus. You, you'll figure it out. She's like, you boy, you should have been on this three months ago. And so literally, on the week making calls to apartment complexes in Tuskegee, 
Nobody's like, no, we, we have no space for you. So we're driving, literally driving. We packed our cars up. We're driving from Birmingham, where the project is, to Tuskegee, which is about a two-hour drive. And, you know, when you get real, real, real spiritual, you know, the whole summer we're listening to hip-hop and Christian rap. But on this road back, we were like, it's nothing but Kurt Franklin, nothing but Fred Hammond, Andre Crouch. We're going back to James Cleveland. We're reaching back into the history because we need that special blessing, amen. And we just praying the whole way back, like, Lord, provide for us. And here's the prayer. Lord, we just don't need a place to stay. We need a place to stay tonight. But not only do we not need just a place to stay tonight, Lord, we need a place that has all the utilities on. But not only do we need a place to stay tonight with all the utilities, we also need a place that's fully furnished because we, we need a bed. We need somewhere to lay our head. Y'all don't have faith like I have. Come on, somebody. This was our prayer. Lord, on the way on this two-hour trip, we need you to provide a place to stay. We need you to provide a, a, a place with utilities, and we need you to provide a place that is fully furnished. The first apartment complex we pull into, I go into the office. I said, um, hey, uh, how you doing? It's the same apartment complex which the lady who let me stay for a month lived in. And I walk into the leasing office, and she says, hey, Amisho. I'm like, wait, hold up. You, you're, you know me? God's favor already. I was like, okay, so uh, she's like, yeah, I've been trying to contact you all summer because, I forget the young lady's name, let's just say Sarah <laughs> is moving out of, she moved out of her apartment yesterday, but your name is still on the lease. And I'm sitting like, how did my name get on? I had to put my name on a lease for the utilities to pay the bill. She's like, not only is your name on the lease and the utilities, she left all her furniture. Come on, somebody. Y'all ain't. And so I was like, say no more. Say no less. I mean, say less. We are going to take that apartment as of tonight. And when she was like, it's yours if you want it. Me and my buddy got up, and we took a whole bunch of laps, praising the Lord. <laughs> now, granted, there'll be times when we pray, and the Lord won't provide in that way. And this is a, this is a, this is a true story. I don't know if my wife remembers this story, but I, I'm pretty sure she can validate it. If not, I'll give you Sean's number. But the reality of it is, is though, if the Lord didn't provide in that manner, the blessing of that experience is that two-hour drive, we were preparing our hearts for a no, because the more we spoke to the Lord, the more comfortable and content we would have been with knowing we would have probably have to slept somewhere else. But blessed be unto the Lord that he yet and still he provided for us in our cry. I'm going to read Luke 11, 1 through 13, and then we're going to get um, into our message. It says, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we are ourselves also forgiven everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. 
Then he will answer from its side and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The beautiful thing about prayer is not just a baseless action. It is a way for us to actually know God. How do you know people? You know people by spending time with them, by inquiring about them. If I want to know Brother Antoine, it may be very beneficial for me to go to Precious and be like, Sister Precious, tell me about Antoine. Give me some insights about your husband. And then, you know, after I get enough information from Precious, I go to Aria, tell me a little bit about your father. Oh, yeah, handsome man. Okay, got you. And then, you know, I may even go to Brother Domingo. Brother Domingo, tell me about Antoine. You guys have been serving as elders for a while. Tell me about him. But if for two years I spend my time asking about Antoine to everybody else, and I never go to Antoine, and I say, Brother Antoine, tell me, tell me about yourself. Does, do I really know him? And the reality of it is, is that oftentimes we spend so much time learning about God, reading about God, hearing people speak about God, but never talking to God himself. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis talks about this very issue. The, the Great Divorce is about... This, this journey to purgatory, if you will, and you have these folks who get on this bus and they get a chance to go meet God. And there's this Episcopalian priest who is renowned in his study and his knowledge and his pontification on the great God that he loves. But in his attempt or in his opportunity to actually stand before God in this beautiful mountain, the Episcopalian is like, well, 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 hold up, before I go meet him, Will I still be needed on earth? Like, will my, my learnings and will my, my academic, the academia still be honored? And, and the, 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 the host is like, why does that matter? You've been spending your life learning about someone. Now you get to see them face to face. And oftentimes I feel like we find more joy in learning about God than actually spending time with them. And I struggle with this because prayer gives us a wonderful opportunity to commune with God. So it's not just wasteful time. It's time to actually get in an intimate space with the creator, with the maker who made us. He says, for I will bring you to a land not of questions but of answers. This is what he says to the Episcopalian priest. And you shall see the face of God. Howard Thurman has a wonderful quote that I think we all should consider as this is our, proposi- our, uh, our posture for prayer. He says, the basic proposition underlying our need for prayer is this. We wish never to be left literally 
to our own resources. Again and again, we discover that our own resources are not equal to the demands of our living. We discover that our own resources are not equal to the demands of our living. Basically, he's saying, you don't have the facilities for that, big fella. You ain't got it. You think you want this, but you don't want this smoke, as the young folks say. And the only way you can handle that smoke is by going to the smoke maker. <laughs> in this text, in Luke 11, what we see is there's a theologian who says that this is the first time that the disciples actually ask, of Jesus, ask Jesus of something of their own benefit. It's just, they don't, they're like, Lord, of all the things we need to know, please teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so he says to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not bring us into temptation. As I was going through this, I was like, I think there are six principles that we can draw out from just this two through four. Yeah, two through four. There are six principles. The first thing is, he says, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Understand that God is perfect. So as we approach God, understand he's, that's not to intimidate us, but that's to bring us more joy to know that he's not one who's going to shun us. He's one, who, he's one to accept us, but it's also good for us to understand who the main character in this interaction is. If you love reading novels, it's very important for you to understand the characters so that you understand, like, how they move through the story. Like, my daughter is a gamer, and you oftentimes you'll play, like, these role-playing, uh, these games, and what happens is there's a main character, and then you have, like, these non-player, non-operating players or whatever they are. They're just bit characters. And if they interrupt the story, it, it disrupts everything. It's like they're just there to just to be affected by the main character. And in a sense, that's what we are. Like, we are not the main characters in this narrative called life. The Bible starts off with telling us who it is in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, so he's the story. He, he's the main character. So as we approach, understand that your name is holy. It's about you. I am coming to you because you have control of all things. But he's a good God, and he wants fellowship with us. Amen? The second thing I see is that he asks us to pray for his kingdom to come. We pray that God's way, or, or, or we pray that God, the, 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 the way that God intended for us to interact with one another is established here on earth. That we have better relationships with not only him, but better relationships with one another. And so it's not just pray, Lord, but it's pray, Lord, the rules, the edicts, the things that you've taught us, like how help us to establish those things on earth. How can we have better relationships with one another on earth? What does it look like for God's kingdom to be here on earth? Could you imagine a world where all businesses had the type of customer service like Chick-fil-A? That's what I'm saying. Like, let's pray for that kind of stuff. I'm sick of going to places, and you act, I'm bothering you. We ain't got no chicken. They're like, I'm sorry. But for real, it's like, what does it mean to bring God's kingdom in our everyday interactions? The third thing is 
to not be concerned with excess, but be concerned with just today. Many people have worried themselves today about things that have never come to pass. He didn't say, don't concern yourself with things. He says, but don't concern yourself with things that you can't control. And oftentimes, that's the way we live. We want to control everything. We want to worry about, look, you ain't, don't worry about that. You can't control that. You can't control the, hey, worry about today, pray about today's manner. Be alert about today. Because the, the, the struggle with this is that it's not just a wasteless act. It's if we, if we evaluate our hearts and we really see what the underlying problem of this control is, it's really our desire to be God. It's really our desire to say, you know what, Lord, yeah, you made the earth in six days, and yeah, I know your son, but I really feel like I know what's best. And so how do we begin to say, you know what, our daily bread is this desire not to just concern ourselves with today, but also this idea of excess is if I just have enough, if I just, then I won't have to worry. That's pride. That's us trying to cast our ballot for, as God. But the fourth thing I see is that acknowledge that you're a mess who needs forgiven, forgiveness. It says, in the order of things, I honestly would probably put this first. Like, Lord, I'm a mess and you are holy. <clears throat> you are holy. And so now that I know that I'm a mess, it makes it even more reasonable why I come to you. And in this interaction, knowing that I bow before you every day, hoping that you can reconcile the, 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 the covenant relationships that I violate, not just with you, with other people. And not only do we confess our sins so that we have a better relationship with God so that our prayers aren't hindered, as the Bible talks about even in your own personal households, as uh, it talks about in Second Peter, I think it's 2.8, for husbands not to, to live peaceably so that your prayers won't be hindered, but we also forgive other people so that our relationship is strong. We acknowledge that, this is the fifth, that we acknowledge the sins of others and we forgive them. In Ephesians 5.32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And the sixth point is they pray for God to protect them. Or we should pray for God to protect us. So it's don't bring us into temptation. And this text can be somewhat confusing because it's like God would never, why would we pray? It's actually considered a figure of speech in a literary device that's called a litotis, which would means it's an affirmative that is expressed by a negative. So oftentimes we use this, we'll say, oh, that's not bad at all. The negative, eliminating, communicating something good, right? Or uh, he's not ugly, or she's not as young as she says she is, right? So they're not saying like, Lord, we believe you will lead us to temptation. They're just saying, Lord, protect us and keep us away from temptation. It's just a figure of speech, right? And so if I can just give a recap in my own kind of 2020 language, or 2020, come on, Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's a long, 2020 has been two years long. <laughs> the devil is a lie. Um, if I can bring it into this 2022 language, I would say this. I would say, God, your perfect 
and your ways are perfect. Therefore, we will pray that, you, that we can establish them on earth. We will be content. Better yet, we will rejoice in what you provide because we know we're sinners who desire to be powerful and we know that our neighbor, neighbor is a sinner who desires power as well. With all that being said, Lord, forgive us and the only thing we request is that you protect us and lead us from destruction. In 5 through 8, he goes through this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and, does, and, and, don't ha- and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Oftentimes when we read this text, we just think about this as just being persistent. But this theologian makes this observation. He says, this is not an illustration of perseverance in prayer. This illustration is a strong encouragement to prayer to let nothing deter us from praying. And the encouragement lies in the implied promise that our praying will receive its answer. So basically, this is not just a prayer, or this is not just a parable about the persistence to keep asking for a particular thing. This is a parable about the persistence in prayer. Like, just pray. Be a people who pray. Despite the answers, you need to pray. All matters need to go before the Lord. Not just all things. Lord, thank yes. I'm going to go in this office today, Lord, and I just don't want to have to slap nobody. Lord, I am driving down 285. We know 285 is a mess, Lord. Just be, Lord, oh, if this girl do not go to sleep, right? oh, my Lord, Lord, everything. But not just the things that, sh- that, that worry us, but the things that we're joyful. If we need to also take our, our, our celebrations and our joyfulness to the Lord as well. Who, although the Lord can handle our worries and our concerns, who wants to just be around somebody who only comes to them with worries and concerns? And so we go to the Lord, not just in our concerns, but we go to him in our joys. Because if you only go to him in your concerns and you never bring your joys and your highlights to him, then you may think that your highlights are because of your good works. We got to go to him for both and say, Lord, thank you in the struggle, but also thank you in the feast. If the Son of God prays in John 17, what makes us think that we could go without praying? In all his wisdom and all his power and all his peace, he regularly communes with God. Who are we to think that we can go without it? The more we pray, the more we align ourselves with the will of God. I heard someone say a long time ago, like, I don't just pray to change God. I pray that it also changes me. The more we pray 
the more our heart's posture will be in a place that is aligned with the will of the Lord. Because he's communicating to you. And you're growing in patience. You're growing in peace. You realize that you won't get all the things you want. And so, therefore, a no is not an offense to you because you know if there's a no, he must know what's better for me. And so, therefore, I can, I can deal with the no. I can deal with rejection. Because if we recognize that he's holy, he's not keeping it from me because he's a bad God. He's keeping it from me because he knows better. Oftentimes, what I've tried to learn how to do is I, I, I have relationships with, you know, people. And sometimes just, when you're like me, you can be a manipulator and you go to people for advice, but you really are going to them to get a particular answer. And praise God, I have some wise and smart people around me and they can sense that. And so I'll oftentimes go to them with an, with an intent, but I'll leave with more wisdom. I'll go seeking an answer, but I'll leave with wisdom and peace and patience. And oftentimes that's what prayer is. You go looking for an answer. You go with an intent, but you walk away feeling, you know what? I'm contented with this no. And eventually what happens is you stop going with intentions to convince and you just go to listen. Or you go with questions. And those questions become sincere and you're like, I'm truly inquiring because I believe the inquiry is going to make me a person who's going to have a heart's posture that's honest before the Lord. One of the greatest spiritual disciplines, this is from the book of opinions, <laughs> is the spiritual gift to shut your mouth. Oh, was that my wife who said amen? Come on, somebody. I'm learning. That was, that's my 2022. I said, Lord, especially in a world where you have a platform and you feel like everybody needs to know my opinion on everything. It's so easy to interject yourself into a conversation. You have no authority on anything. You've watched CNN one time and now you got the greatest commentary on what's happening in Congress. Shut your mouth. You've met this person one time. Yeah, they're struggling, and uh, you've had one conversation with them, and you feel like, I'm about to be their therapist today. Shut your mouth. That is a wonderful gift from the Lord is to know when it's time to be quiet. And even in prayer, sometimes you just sit there, and you just say, Lord, I don't know what to say, but the Spirit is going to intercede, and hopefully I receive something from this shutting of my mouth. But why don't we pray? I think there's a couple of reasons why we don't pray. One of them is pride and, and excess. You know, I know some of us in here, we, we struggle. We, we, our bank accounts uh, don't agree with uh, our dreams. So we may not have excess, but everybody in here can relate to pride. And so rather than humbling ourselves and say, Lord, I don't have the resources within me to handle the consequences of today. I'll just figure it out my, myself. We, we feel like we can fix it. We either believe we have the resources or we feel like we can rationalize ourselves out of it. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, Paul has an indictment to the Galatians, not necessarily on prayer, but in a similar vein. He, he says, 
you foolish Galatians, who cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. He said, I, I want to know one thing. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? We can put this into prayer. It's, it's basically, oh, you, you came to Jesus knowing that you were insufficient, knowing that you were deficient in all things spiritual, but now that you got him, you think you can figure it out through your flesh. Oh, you feel like you don't need to pray anymore. You got it. Maybe your bank account is good, or, or maybe you're talented, or, or maybe you can rationalize. He's oh, foolish Galatians. You don't have it within you. Once again, you don't have the facilities, big fella. But not only that, I, I think we struggle with pride. But this, this past week, we've, we had, uh, we've had some wonderful fellowship. We had a men's fellowship. I think it was uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before last. And then this past Wednesday, we had, um, it was just, just the brothers showed up. So uh, praise God for just the men showing up. But it was just some, it was four of us showed up for this Wednesday Bible study. And oftentimes what I find in Bible studies is when we say, all right, so, you know, what's your prayer request? What you struggling with? You know, we pull out the most shallow stuff. Well, you know, I'm struggling with pride. Or, you know, I'm just too busy, you know. Oh, I, I, work, I work a little bit too much. And it, it just, it, 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 I'm like, that's all we struggle with? That's all? Ain't none of y'all looking at nobody like y'all ain't supposed to be looking at? Ain't none of y'all lusting like y'all? Okay, well, that's it. I'm, yeah, I'm pride too. That's, yeah, that's, all, that's all I got too. But I know our struggles are deeper than that. And then we wonder why marriages fall apart. We wonder why pastors fall. We wonder why corruption runs through our church because we don't confess. We don't bring ourselves to a place where we can be honest about the struggles amongst one another. And we just this pride is like, I can't let people know that I'm struggling. There's this, I read this statistic, this statistic about pastors preaching that the more a pastor preaches about a particular sin struggle that they're, they're facing, congregations will begin to stop following that particular pastor because of some weird thing like they believe that pastors aren't supposed to sin or something like that. And so part of the reasons why pastors get up here and act like they don't sin is because they feel this need to have to come off as holier than now. And then they're alone in the darkness by themselves wondering why they have no accountability because they can't be honest with anybody. Let's please confess. Don't let pride keep you from praying, from going to the Father. Because pride, what pride will do is, rather than saying God is perfect, it'll say, well, sometimes he gets it wrong. Rather than saying our daily bread, you'll say, no, no, I'll, I'll provide for myself. Rather than saying forgive me for my sins, you'll say, you know, they're not that bad. My sins are not that egregious. Rather than saying, Lord, protect us, you say, I have the confidence in my own power. But another reason why we don't often pray and go before the Lord is because of shame. I, um, once again, as a young college student, loving the Lord and walking uprightly in all my ways, we would uh, have these 
retreats. And at these retreats, we would often play like paintball. And, you know, I don't know, maybe 50 plus students. And you would have turns, like a group of 10 playing another group of 10. And so I'm out here, and I have the paintball, and I'm aiming at the enemy on the other side. And all of a sudden, I feel all these hits in my back. And I'm like, what kind of magic bullets? Because I know I'm shooting this way. There's no way that a bullet can. And I just, I'm just, pop, 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 pop. And I turn around, and I see a buddy of mine, like, shooting from off the, you know, he's not even playing. He's just back here, and everybody's laughing. Ah, you know, key, 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 key. And, I'm, and, I, and I get, I, one, I'm embarrassed because they hurt. If you've ever been hit by a pain, they hurt. But then it's also everybody's laughing at me. And I flat out cussed them out, literally, like in the middle of this Christian camp, <laughs> loving the Lord and all. <laughs> I used every word that I can think of. I pulled it out. And immediately when I was done, I went to the bathroom and I stayed there literally for like two hours. <laughs> Don't awe me. Don't, uh-uh. The hottie came into the, he's like, the show, how long are you going to sit in this bathroom? He said, you can only hide for so long. Get your tail up, go apologize to everybody, and deal with your sin. And see, at that moment, I was, I was, I was, I was, cloaked in shame. I felt like, nah, nobody wants to fellowship with me right now. Like I'm too much of a sinner to go before these people who've been with me for the last couple years. Like they don't, this one moment is a defining moment for me. Like now I am the, I am the, I'm a sinner. I had a brother tell me the other day, he says, look, when you feel like you are a sinner, he says, don't worry. You're, you're more of a sinner than you think you are. But praise God, there's redemption. I eventually got up, went to the folks, and I was like, look, y'all, I failed. I messed up, and uh, I'd like to apologize. Um, and then I got in a fist fight with the dude who was nuts playing. But they, they brought <laughs> immediately. It was like, bro, you tripping, man. You know? And then the dude apologized. He was like, yo, my bad. I shouldn't have done that, et cetera, et cetera. But fellowship was restored. Some of us think that humility is keeping things to ourselves. Humility isn't withholding our concerns, our shame, and our struggles from God. It's understanding that those are precisely the things that we bring to him because we can't manage it within our own power. Shame should never deter us from seeking the face or asking God for things. We all know we fall short of the glory of God every day. However, to think that we ever deserved God's response is a greater problem than being ashamed to seek him when we fail. I'm going to say that one more time. To think we ever deserved God's response is a greater problem than being ashamed to seek him when we fail. He says, I know you're a mess. Bring it to me. Talk to me about it. (laughs) Satan desires nothing more than to make us feel that God's hand is without reach, is out of reach. Our flesh and the enemy does a wonderful job of convincing us on a daily basis that we do not deserve God's attention and love. And so the problem with this is that when you, when you, when you operate in shame, you try harder and you begin to work harder 
in order to create some sort of self-righteousness. But here's the thing, when you achieve that through working harder and doing better, you actually create a greater problem because what happens is, is that you feel that God will only fellowship with you when you're performing well. Everybody who has children in this room know that your children won't perform in all the ways you want them to, but yet and still, you still love them. Yet and still, when they're acting crazy, <laughs> you may, the tone may change, but you won't withhold from them good things. What makes us think, if we, from the beginning, if God is holy and perfect, that when we're acting up and we want to come to him and say, look, I've, that he's going to, nah, you ain't been performing well, cuz. If you confess foolish Galatians after beginning in the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? One of the last reasons why we don't pray is because of confusion. Some struggle with pride. Some struggle with shame. And some of us are like we don't know. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of things about this Christian faith that we just don't understand. I ask you to explain the Trinity to me. Some of y'all are like, well, uh, and it's okay to be like, I don't know. But that shouldn't keep us from going to God. Some of us, <clears throat> you know, we read, it says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Or if he asks, or if then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, I've asked you for things and you've not given. Not only have, I, have you not given sometimes, sometimes you provide in ways in which I didn't ask for. In moments of confusion, it might just be best for us to sit. Don't try to formulate the words. Just rest in the acknowledgement that we are poor in spirit and that God may give a deposit that will bring us back sufficient. I don't know, Lord. I, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray, and maybe you'll change my fortune. A peripatia in literature, you know, you know I was going to get this literary lesson today. A peripatia, a peripatia, depends on how you want to pronounce it, is what happens in literature when there's a reverse of fortune. Like a sudden turn in events or an unexpected reversal, especially in literary works. Uh, if you watch a film and a, the, the character is operating in a certain way or direction and all of a sudden there's a situation that causes them to shift. Like a Romeo and Juliet, you know, the peripatia is them both committing suicide, right? Um, some of the greatest examples is when the protagonist makes a request and the return on that request isn't quite what they expected. And it leads them in a different direction. And we see this in the scriptures, right? We see this in Israel when they are seeking a king in 1 Samuel 8. They see what the world is doing. They see the success of the world. And they're saying, oh, you know what? We want that too. We want to be like them. We want a king. And, and Samuel, y'all, you sure? You sure you want that? They're like, yeah, yeah, well, we want that. That's what we want. We want to be like the rest of the nations. We want a king to rule over us. And he's like, oh, let me tell you what your king is going to do. 
He'll be greedy. He'll be a tyrant. He'll be abusive. He'll misuse your children. He'll misuse your resources. No, 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 but we want a king. When we pray, we must understand that we do not control the means of distribution. We simply scream out, Lord, feed me, and the Lord will provide mail and manna, quail and manna, and our response is to be thankful for what he provides. Howard Thurman again says this. He says, it is important to recognize that we cannot prescribe the rules by which spiritual power is available to us. Who are we to lay down the conditions upon which we will accept the resources of life that sustain and confirm the integrity of our being? We can't control the means of distribution. All we do is make a request, and we have our hands open like, Lord, whatever you place there, I'm contented. That's prayer. It's like, and whatever you put, it's like, mm, okay, we're going to make something out of this. We're going to praise the Lord. He's provided. My father passed away in 2008. And in, in, in 2008, he calls me in May. He just, hey, I was driving to... I was driving to the gym. I couldn't remember how to get home. And I said, this is, this is weird. Like, this is not like me. And so the next day I go to the doctor and they say I have a, a tumor on my brain. And he was just like, that's it. I, I really don't want to talk about it much. I just want to let you know. And we got off the phone. And I'm sitting there like, wow. Like this, I think he was about 6'3", about 240, ex-NFL football player. Just broken, just this is my life now. Fast forward, that was in May. September, he passes away. But I had a chance to sit with him in uh, Ju July or August of that summer. Frail, skinny, very weak, needed a cane to walk around. And he said something to me. Here's the peripatia. He says, I have been praying to draw closer to the Lord. Who knew he would have used cancer to do that. What do you want? That may seem like a scorpion when you've asked for an egg, but ultimately God knows what's best for us. He sits on his throne and he says, I want you to seek me. Knock and I will open the door and I will not turn you away. Your persistence does not bother me. I want you to bother me. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing just to hold your hands out and say, Lord, whatever you provide, I'm willing for. I know that you know what's best for me. You are a good God, and whatever you put in my hands, it will be a good gift. And although it may not be 
the direction in which I intended to go. I know it's the best direction for me. You know, I, I don't want to just talk about prayer. You know, we oftentimes the thing that frustrates me about conferences, I get called to speak at a lot of conferences, and, and I, I, one of the things that bothers me the most is I, you know, I get called to speak at creative uh, conferences, and there's a whole bunch of non-creative people talking about creativity. I'm like, this is the most boring, ridiculous. And I oftentimes feel like we do that in church. It's like we sit here and we talk about prayer. And, I mean, I really want to pray. I want to spend some time praying. And I know sometimes it can be weird because you're like, well, my thing is like, don't, we don't have to impress one another. This is not a time to impress. This is a time just to, just to pray. Just to pray. I don't know what for. Let the Spirit speak to you. The Spirit will speak to you and you will, bes- you will beseech the Lord in ways that only you know you need. But this is a time to get to know the Father, to pray, to understand Him as holy and perfect. But also say, Lord, I, I'm, I am going to remove the pride. I'm going to remove the shame, the confusion. And if for some of us, if it may just be sitting there. And listening. I'm going to ask them to play a little bit of music. um, And then we'll just just pray in your own. If you want to pray with another person, I encourage that. And then I'm going to ask at the end, I'm going to ask Sister Precious to come up here and pray for us. And I'm going to ask Brother Kenny to come up here and pray for us. And then we'll close it out with another song. But just just go before the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.